0: Friends, thank you for listening in today. On this episode, I'm going to be addressing a complex topic, a topic that once again has universal applications and also, more specifically, MK or TCK applications. You can see the podcast notes for definitions of those two acronyms, if you're not familiar with them. Because of that, the format of this particular episode is going to be a bit different. Most of it will address a broader audience. I'll let you know when the MK-specific piece begins and, if you're not part of that community, how many minutes to skip forward to find the nine suggestions for living with grief. The universal piece is that grief is unavoidable. Whether it's a result of loss, disappointment, illness, or death, there's no escaping encountering some degree of it in any life. As I record this, the world is in the grip of its first modern pandemic, and widespread grief, acknowledged or not, is sweeping across every strata of society. Social distancing is leading to isolation. Add to that fear of getting sick or of a loved one getting sick and the loss of life as we knew it, loss of income, too, of purpose for some. For introverts, being housebound 24-7 with non-introverts can be a form of torture in itself. For many of us right now, for whatever reason, grief is an invisible companion that tends to hum at the back of our minds, and if unaddressed, will begin to take a toll. But don't get me wrong, this episode is not a nine-step plan on how to move on quickly from grief. Much as I would love to be able to offer that to you, I probably wouldn't, even if I could, because I believe it's in the swirling center of our discontent, fear, and sadness that understanding and growth reside. See, there are two problems with wanting to get over it fast. The first is that some circumstances or some intensities don't allow for a quick U-turn. Some grief lingers for a while and has to because the circumstances are still bruising or the loss is just that deep. The second problem is this. If we slingshot our way over grief or find ways to get through it fast, we don't actually process it. We merely shove it deeper, allowing its power to intensify and its control over our outlook, self-assessment, and relationships to increase. I've known too many people who have suffered unnecessarily later in life because they so successfully stuffed, minimized, or ignored their grief when it became a burden— I've seen that in my own life, too. So, here's how this unconventional episode is going to play out. I'll spend the next couple of minutes addressing grief from the specific perspective of MKs and TCKs, and if you're not one of those, I invite you to skip ahead to the seven-minute mark of this episode and the musical interlude that precedes my nine suggestions for living well in a season of grief. Here's the MK part. Someone asked me recently why there's such an emphasis on grief and loss in my speaking on MK topics. My answer was simple, because we experience so much of it in so many different forms, starting so early in life. And I can't think of a more acute season of grief than when we have to leave our foreign home and return to our passport culture. For many MKs, this happens at the end of high school, when we return to what was our parents' home country for higher education, a career, or whatever else the cause might be. I teach at reentry retreats in the summer, and I've seen it play out in that context so often. Just a couple years ago, a young man named Muki, one of the participants of the retreat, said it best, I feel like grief has become my love language. He further wrote this, I've lost my home, my security, my church, my friends, my job, my relationships. It continues to haunt me that I will never see the places that I roamed in the same light again, nor will I breathe the air as someone who is planted there. I lost myself in the convoluted mission of leaving. There is no way to express how lost I feel, and I don't think anything can change that. No amount of crying or talking will heal my soul. Now, if you're not an M.K., that might sound like hyperbole or exaggerated emotions. It isn't. For those of us who repatriate from our foreign worlds, moving back to our passport countries is more than a transition. It's a foundational dislocation and reinvention. It feels like we lose everything—a measurable number of people, places, and sacred objects for sure but also the languages, sounds, aromas, events, values, security, familiarity, and belonging that have been our life, it can feel as if we're surrendering our very identity. That's the enormity of our loss. As MKs who are often bound by a collection of ridiculous shoulds, we might mistakenly think that we should be able to talk ourselves out of the sadness, live above it somehow, or pray our way out of it and fast, before our grief begins to look like weakness. I can't think of a more destructive response to the inevitable hard of life. We can't control grief-inflicting events any more than we can control how long it'll stay with us, no matter how hard we try. But if we look into the face of sadness, if we acknowledge its presence with enough courage to explore it, Only then will we come to understand our losses and their impact on our lives, how they shape our view of the world, of God, of self, and how they can lead us both to greater strength and deeper faith. Only when we journey through our grief can something beneficial and beautiful come from the bitter pill of the goodbyes inherent to the life of an M.K. So this article is not about methods for circumventing the lostness that often walks hand-in-hand with the treasure of a multicultural existence. What I'm offering here is a few suggestions for managing the shadows we carry within us so we can remain functional and connected while slowly disentangling the roots and rewards of our grief. How do we live, really live, through a season of grief? How do we keep moving forward when we don't know how long it's going to last or how overwhelming it might become? These nine suggestions are not a magic bullet, but I believe they're a really good place to start. Number one, redefine your relationship with grief. There's a tendency among us to see it as weakness a shameful lack of faith. We tell ourselves we should be able to bounce back and embody resilience. But here's the truth. What is happening to us, whether it be illness, the death of a loved one, a painful transition, or the life upheavals of a global pandemic, it's monumental. Yes, grief can feel debilitating. It is debilitating. But it is also the measure of all we're enduring. Not only is it okay for it to hurt, It is necessary for it to hurt. Number two, let your grief breathe. Give it the time and space it needs to reach a natural ebb. Pain is not our enemy. It points us to the tender spots that need our attention and our grace. It exists for a purpose, and any attempt to suppress it will only cause more harm in the future. We might think we're being expedient, strong, and decisive, when we choose to ignore it or live above it. And granted, that approach might allow us to function and keep moving forward in some ways, but it also leaves the darkness of our losses anchored to our life's perspective. Here's the truth. Grief is not reduced by our attempts at stuffing it. It only builds under the surface as we neglect it, then erupts more destructively when it finally finds release. If we let it breathe... We give ourselves the chance to heal. Number three, don't stuff it, shelve it. As important as it is to make sense of our grief, it would be detrimental to our health and our deadlines and social engagements and job to be constantly processing it. In order to function in the real world, we might be tempted to tamp down the emotions, screw the lid on tight, and make believe there's nothing there to think about. What I advocate instead is this. It's learning to put it on the shelf. Picture with me a transparent jar. It's lid just resting on top of it and off at an angle for air to get in and out. And it's sitting safely on a shelf within my range of vision. It's still there. I'm still aware that I need to pay attention to it. But it's out of the way for now, within reach when I need to go back to the healing process. Please hear me, there are times when grief is so great, so sudden, so shocking, so overwhelming that shelving it is isn't possible, nor would it be advisable. I want to make that distinction clear. But for a chronic kind of grief, for a season of ongoing grief, temporarily shelving it might be a really healthy approach. It isn't denying it, it's managing how much and when it gets our time and energy. Resilience comes from returning to it again and again until it's been fully fathomed and restored. Number four, speak about it to someone who cares and hears you. That person needs to be someone we respect, who has proven himself or herself trustworthy, and who has demonstrated wisdom and compassion. You might want to consider professional help, too— Counseling can be something of a taboo subject in some circles. It certainly still is in a few Christian circles. We've got God, right? We've got His promises. We don't need an outsider's help. But here's the thing. Grief is powerful, murky, and unpredictable. A person engulfed in the turbulence of raging water may not be able to extricate herself— without the help of another person whose feet are firmly planted on the sturdiness of the dock, able to throw in a life-saving buoy if necessary. That's who counselors are. They may not personally be able to identify with exactly what we're feeling, but they're solid, they're clear-minded, they're eager to help, and they're equipped with tools we may need to overcome. Number 5. Explore Who God Is Study God's heart as revealed in His Word and through those He sends into our lives. Remind yourself of His promises. They're not limited by time or place. They were true in yesterday's more stable world, and they'll hold true in this new, frightening one. God is still present. He is still speaking, though it might be hard to hear Him above the roar of our coping mechanisms. His promise to fight for you and comfort you still stands. Look back over the road you've traveled and see the ways he's been faithful. Then remind yourself that he has not changed, though the circumstances may have. A word of caution here. If you're like me, there will be a tendency in your darkest moments of grief to blame God for what caused it. Why are you letting this happen? Why didn't you protect the person I love? Why aren't you jumping in to rescue us, God? I've been there. It's a natural and oh-so-human and understandable response, but this is what I've learned. Blaming God for the hard stuff makes Him into my tormentor, and it's impossible to seek comfort from the same being I also accuse of everything that harmed me. There will be time to understand His role in our circumstances when the crisis is past, but when we're coping with overwhelming loss, His presence is the most powerful balm we can reach for. And he's not ashamed of our sadness. He experienced it too. Though there's comfort in activity, friendships, rest, and accomplishment, there is nothing and no one who comforts, understands, and heals grief more deeply than Christ. Number six, remember who you are. It's so easy to feel that we've lost ourselves, that all that's left of us is the bruised remnant of who we used to be, before loss, before upheaval, before a new normal that feels redefining and stifling. But here's the truth. You are still capable. You are still lovable. You are still valuable. You're just figuring out how to be all those things in this new context. It might be helpful during a season of grief to carve out some time and energy to remind yourself of those things that are significant to you, To reacquaint yourself in any creative way you can with what thrills and fulfills you. To connect yourself again with the traits and passions that define you. Number 7. Find healthy ways of relieving the emotions. There is nothing wrong with engaging in activities that distract us. In fact, there's true resilience in those minutes and hours of distance from the grief. Do something you enjoy to inject a bit of light into the darkness of your losses. Play, cook, write, Skype with friends, lose yourself in a Netflix binge. Just make sure these are temporary measures. It's easy to escape into the coping mechanisms so deeply and often that we stop really participating in the life and relationships going on around us. And one more thing, and this is a note to myself as much as to anybody else— Move. Exercise releases chemicals in the brain that counteract the grip of sadness. I know it won't be the first impulse for some of us to get up and go for a walk or pull out a workout video, but if you can force yourself to add some movement to your life, you'll be sure to feel the benefits of it. Number eight, look for reasons to be grateful. Making of gratitude an intentional practice can be life-altering, It can be as simple as jotting down three things we're thankful for at the end of every day. Trust me, the hard stuff will always be at the top of our brains. It'll jump up and get our attention repeatedly during the day. It's just the way we're wired. But the good stuff will take some focus to identify and acknowledge. Choosing gratitude is not a miracle cure for grief, but it's a practice that pays off in shifted perspective determined optimism and emotional balance and number nine persist there will be days when the effort of pushing forward through the grief will feel like too much when it'll seem easier to just lock the door and crawl into bed and close your eyes there'll be times when just making conversation will feel like too much effort Please believe me, it will get better. As someone who has survived the kind of loss, grief, and pain that left me feeling emptied out and crippled, I can assure you that there is hope, that there is a future, that there is life on the other side of this pain. As you pay attention to what's hard, as you give your grief the space and care it requires while still investing in the tomorrow you're building, you'll find a sort of Balance returning. And you'll discover that though you've lost so much, you didn't lose yourself. And the God who promised to walk with you, to love you through the pain, and to uphold you through the challenges, He's still working to bring beauty from the ashes around you. Grief is not a comfortable place to live, but it's a natural and human response to life upheavals. It often feels like being stuck in a dark and narrowing ravine. I've been there. I've felt the exhausting, pummeling, destabilizing waves of disappointment, fear, or loss. I've learned to be patient with the pain, to give it what it needs until my strength and resilience fully return, or until the troubling circumstances change. Of this I am sure. As we experience grief... As we explore it and give it the attention it requires, we grow, we deepen in understanding and empathy, we learn important lessons about ourselves and about God, the same God who even now is holding us as we move through the darkness, promising to be our comfort and our hope. Thank you, friends, for spending these minutes with me. There's an unseen community following this podcast, and I assure you that there are others listening in who have been through or are going through what you're feeling right now. If you need help, I encourage you to reach out for it, whether it be in a conversation with someone in your social circles or through formal counseling. Ask your church or someone you trust for a recommendation for a mental health professional if that's what you think you need. I'll also post in the episode notes a link to counselors around the world who have experience with cross-cultural people like MKs and TCKs. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross wrote this, A grief must be witnessed in order to be healed. I pray as I wrap up this recording that you'll have the courage and persistence to make yours known today. Thank you for listening.